Alrighty, let's get into the meat of this episode. And we're going to start today where we're talking about the Russian Security Council meeting. So last week there was a meeting of Russia's Security Council, obviously, uh, covering the events from June 4th to June 21st. And they're, of course, discussing the Ukrainian counteroffensive. And they've said some very interesting things. Now, they said they estimated that Ukraine suffered between 13 to 15,000 casualties. Two officials gave two different numbers, so that's why I'm giving a range here, 13 to 15,000 casualties. They said that Ukraine had lost 240 to 260 tanks over the course of this, well, at, at the time that they were doing this, about a three-week period, but it, it appears to have leveled out and stalled out by the third week, judging by the fact that when we first talked about it, the Ukrainians were losing a thousand men a day. So a thousand times three weeks would have been 21,000, but 13 to 15,000 suggests that they sort of, sort of left it alone sometime later on in the second week. And they didn't really go all in on the attacks in the third week, which is why it's rumored that the offensive has been put on pause. And it likely has, and you, now you go back to the standard levels of com conflict and combat that have been routine throughout the war. Essentially, the counteroffensive it is no longer existent. But this ministry meeting, this meeting of the Security Council, in my mistake, they said that Ukraine had suffered 240 to 260 tanks lost, 13 of which were Leopard 2s. They said that 400 to 600 armored vehicles were also lost, along with 152 infantry fighting vehicles, which they said were destroyed, 279 artillery and mortar systems. So I'm, I'm guessing that the bulk of that are going to be mortars rather than artillery because artillery are pretty big. So you're talking about some serious losses if that breaks down more heavily on the artillery side rather than the mortar side. So I'm guessing that most of that are coming from mortars, but that's still a very big number. You have 42 multiple rocket launch systems, multiple launch rocket systems, my mistake. Uh, they say were destroyed or put out of action. That's a lot. That's, that's a lot. You, you, these are not very easy to produce. You don't get a whole lot of these on the battlefield. So for 42 of them to be taken out is... Uh, catastrophic in terms of Ukraine's attacking power. Two air defense systems were knocked out, and this is probably the reason that that one's probably lower than the others. It's because Russia's been just systematically targeting and racially profiling Ukraine's air defense systems for the past how many months? They've been doing this since October, so shoot, about eight months, almost a year. It's, it, they've been targeting Ukraine's air defenses for that long. And so two air defense systems is probably, that, that's probably the reason why that one's so low. Because you'd think that they'd be targeting that more, but they've been targeting that all along. So they, there's not much left to get rid of. They also took down 10 tactical fighter jets, which is massive losses for Ukraine. Their air force already wasn't exactly the largest or very large to begin with. We're they're talking about getting two F-16s, and they've just lost 10 fighter jets. So that's catastrophic. The Russians say they've taken down four helicopters, 
264 drones. Now, most of these are probably smaller reconnaissance drones, uh, like the, perhaps closer to the kind you could buy in a store rather than, say, a Reaper or something like that. But that's still a lot, uh, especially when you factor in the role of reconnaissance in this war. The, the reconnaissance role that drones have played in this war where you can literally see via, via your drone and the little iPad or phone that you have hooked up to it and to its camera, you can literally see where the enemy's position is in detail, certainly more detail than you would have if you were at a, a biplane in World War One taking a, a photograph. So the role of reconnaissance that drones have played is has been very pivotal because reconnaissance and using that to direct artillery onto enemy positions, this has been an artillery war. So the loss of all these reconnaissance units is going to throw what's left of the Ukrainian artillery off. They, they won't be able to accurately pinpoint the Russian positions the same way that they could have with these drones, if, had they not been taken out. So this, this is going to have secondary effects. The loss of all these drones is going to have secondary effects uh, just based off of what we observe with the role that they have played, which is reconnaissance rather than as a strike unit. Some drones do have strike capabilities, but it's been primarily reconnaissance and you t call in a strike on a certain location as your drone is flying up. And so you use the drone and maybe sometimes helicopters, but you use the drones to call in these strikes and you can get some deadly accuracy on enemy positions. So this is really bad for targeting their kill chain system. And then the Russians claim that 424 motor vehicles, so things like trucks and armored cars, those appear to have been destroyed as well. And I bring this up, and uh, I guess I should also acknowledge that I'm at this point heavily, heavily, heavily dependent on numbers and information provided by the Russian side. The Ukrainians have only just now acknowledged that they were even in a counteroffensive, and that's to say that they're putting it on pause. But at this point, I now have to recognize how off the deep end I am in my dependence on the Russian numbers. So if, for whatever reason, the Russians suddenly become unreliable sources, uh, my analysis, my observations are going to be very heavily skewed wrong. So that's something to look out for. But one of the interesting things that came from this as well, because they, the Security Council, they told Putin how they got this information. And how they got it was by intercepting Ukrainian communications, which means that they they're list they're they've listened in on Ukrainian communications, and they're able to listen in on Ukrainian communications to such a degree that they can snatch all this vital information off the Ukrainians without the Ukrainians even knowing. Because essentially, what they've told Putin is that these are the losses that the Ukrainian commanders are telling their superiors that they've lost. So they're much closer to what the actual accurate number is. It is certainly closer than anything we're going to get coming out of the Ukrainian side itself, especially since they really don't want to acknowledge that they're even in the offensive. And it's way better than what you're going to get coming out of the propaganda press here in the United States. So that's another key piece of information. The Russians have really... They're, they've 
penetrated Ukrainian communications. I don't know if it's very deep. I don't know how deep the penetration goes, but it's certainly very wide to have gotten that much info out of the Ukrainians in such a relatively short space of time, like three weeks. So that's something to take into account as we move forward in the war that the Russians can hear everything. The Russians can hear everything. So who knows what else the Russians might know that we just aren't being privy to because the Russians don't bother to talk about it. Who knows what else that they know about Ukraine? Well, we don't. And now that that fact is out there, the Ukrainians are going to are going to have to be on edge and they're going to be a they're going to have to be very careful about the communications that they make at the higher levels. Like the, the combat, the ground losses, you can't do much about those communications unless you want to have your units just go dark across the, the front line. And then you even you don't know what's actually happening on the front without having men on horseback carry the message to you. In which case, you're never going to know what's actually happening because it's too slow. Modern combat is very fast-paced. Things change rapidly, even if things don't change much at all. So the Russians have penetrated deep enough to know the movements and the actions and the losses of the Ukrainians on the front line. But who knows how far back those communication interceptions can go. Perhaps it goes all the way to Kiev. And they're listening in on the messages and com communications and talks and conversations happening between Zelensky and other high-level officials in Ukraine, perhaps even international discussions between Kiev and other countries, perhaps the between Ukraine and United States. So that's something to keep in mind. The Russians have penetrated Ukraine's communications. And it is uncertain right now how deep that that goes. But there's the potential that it goes very, very deep. So Ukraine's better look out. But the next bit of information that I wanted to talk about, uh, this is not a part of that meeting, that uh, meeting of the Security Council, but I feel is very relevant nonetheless. Uh, in this bit of information is that the Russian military has grown by 166,000 volunteers since the beginning of this year, 2023. That's a lot of men. So I figured, hey, let's run through the tally again, since, well, it's relevant again. There were 300,000 men mobilized, plus 80,000 men who volunteered back in October during Russia's first mobilization. Then 500,000 men were mobilized in December as a part of Russia's more permanent remilitarization. So these forces, these are forces who will likely remain in service for some time, even after the war in Ukraine is over. And now we have another 166,000 volunteers over the course of this year. So spread out over the uh, about six, six and a half, well, actually almost seven months now. It's pretty late in June. So 166,000 men spread out over seven months. That's still a very large number. And all in all, it totals up to 1.046 million men. A million men added to the Russian military. And remember, they started the war 
with 750,000 active duty troops, of which around 200,000 went into Ukraine. So that gives us a grand total of 1.796 million men. So 1.8 million, essentially. Now, this was going to be a sort of standalone segment in today's episode. Uh, I mean, these are some pretty hefty numbers and that, like, we haven't seen a military that large in coming out of the Russians for quite some time. I mean, you see the Chinese and the Indian militaries and the U.S. military is uh, pretty large uh, as well. But coming out of Russia, the Russians have been content to chill out at around the million man mark for their military for their active duty. For them to now be at almost, they're coming up on two, two million men uh, during wartime, and they seem content for now, but that could change in a moment's notice. So they're coming up on two million men while they have two to 300,000 troops in Ukraine. And we think that we are weakening Russia. So ju just let that sink in. We we are under the impression here, by, by way of the propaganda press, we think that we are weakening Russia, we're making Russia weaker, but they have two million men under arms. And they don't have to commit them all. They're not throwing men at the problem. They have two to 300,000 men in Ukraine right now, and the rest of these men were either already active duty, because they had 750,000 when the war started, or they were trained or have been trained over the course of the last uh, half of a year. If it's if you're talking about the troops mobilized in December and the last three quarters of a year, if you're talking about the troops who were brought up in October. So they have a lot, hundreds of thousands of men are coming online for the Russians right now. And we're still talking about how the Russians are they want to be a great power again and they they want to project their influence again as if russia ever stopped being a great power so just keep that in mind because again this is going to be a standalone segment in today's episode uh and then history happened but i figured i'd so i figured I'd, I'd cover this one first this little segment first before i uh go over this other story because i believe that this relates in a very interesting way with our next topic, which is Wagner's Rebellion. This segment was taken from my podcast, This Week in Geopolitics. I have new episodes every Monday, so if you like what you heard, consider giving me a follow. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Servus.